Welcome to The Golden Shadow. My name is Elisa Polizzi. And I'm R.N. Rogerson. And today we are discussing somatic experiencing, also known as SE, a body-oriented therapeutic modality created by Dr. Peter Levine that focuses on healing trauma and PTSD through practices that release traumatic shock in the body and help regulate the nervous system. And finally, I said to R.N., we're covering somatics on the podcast. I wasn't sure what that meant. <laughs> finally. Finally, because it's, this is my feeling because especially my orientation is very Jungian, mm -hmm. which is very in the imaginal, the archetypal, the mythological, it's sort of disembodied in a way. And that is a critique that you sometimes see with especially classical Jungian work is where's the bottom up approach? Where's the body? Um, it's only really in, I think, recent time and especially with the work of Marion Woodman, who is a Jungian analyst, that the conversation of psyche and soma from a Jungian perspective uh, kind of came to the forefront. But for the most part, Jungians are like dream work, active imagination, like let's talk about mythology. And there isn't a lot of attention and tending to the body in people's uh, lives. Do you think that's actually uh, a Jung thing? Is that like Jung in his work kind of ignored the body? Maybe no. because he was S.E. Well, inferior? it's like an interesting idea, right? Because we at least presume that he was an introverted intuitive and his work right. is really known as a very thinking forward and very intuitive forward. Mm -hmm. But I remember reading Memories, Dreams, Reflections, which is his semi-autobiography. Yeah. And he talks about this time of distress that he went through, the confrontation with the unconscious after breaking from Freud and going through all of this turmoil and how he would go into these kind of overwhelmed states. And he, and he mentioned specifically like using yogic breathing to calm himself down. And I was like, ah. Oh, I do that. Like mm. I've had to learn to do that. So I think, and I haven't read like Young's work about um, yoga. I know there's some material on that, but I don't think it was something he talked about a lot in his books. I've read quite a bit of collected works, not all of it, but it's, it is more focused on the dynamics of the psyche. And there are aspects of the body that do come in, but as a main focus of how to navigate issues in life, and it wasn't necessarily, I think, his main focus or his main work. There is an intellectual bias that mm. is pervasive just in general. I mean, the internet itself, I think, really disembodies everyone. And yeah. so a lot of the information that spreads and a lot of the ideas that spread and the ways of approaching the world are naturally disembodied because mm. that's how you spread information, right? Yeah. You spread information through intellectualism and talking, sure. not through... The body yeah. it's a difficult, more difficult thing to sort of just transfer through a book, for instance. Yeah. yeah. That'd be another reason we might just have sort of intellectual bias when we approach a lot of Jung's work and just um, reality in general. And that's part of the point of somatics is that we're very um, egoic. Yeah. Um, we tend to operate from a top-down position on the world. We tend to... Uh, approach a lot of our problems from a top-down approach which is like i'll just read all these books and that's how i'll cure my Guilty my trauma uh it's just like more and more theory yeah. more and more ideas concepts um and when we do this we're largely ignoring the origin of much of our wounding mm -hmm. and much of our struggle yeah. which is from the bottom up yeah. or from the body up and so a really simple way to um demonstrate this i think is that if you are depressed for instance if you're dealing with a lot of sadness or anxiety it's easy to think that you need to find some sort of explanation or answer or read mm -hmm. a book that's yeah. going to explain to you right. how to not be depressed anymore yeah and the truth is that if you actually just get more sleep and exercise <laughs> yeah. and get some sunshine mm -hmm. and drink lots of water you'll stop being depressed mm -hmm. and that's weird right it's like, well, that's too simple. Like, that's too simple. Yeah. But it's true because it's in the body. And right. If your body is suffering, it translates to your mind suffering, except our ego forgets about the body yeah. and just sort of pretends like I'm suffering. Why? I must have an incorrect, like, theoretical 
system or something. Mm. Um, so if we actually approach, like I need to change my outlook on life, like right. that's my problem. Right. Um, where it's like, if, if you just, um, ease the body, take care of the body, mm. make the body feel safe, you'll actually be much more successful in approaching a lot of these issues. Yeah. Um, the same way that you might approach a baby, mm. for instance, if a baby is suffering, if you just like explain to it, you're not in danger. Look, there's no, there's no one dangerous around here. Like you don't need to be crying. Mm. Hey, you'll be okay, baby. Like cheer up. Like trying to explain theory to the baby isn't going to work, obviously. So what you do, you take the baby, you hold it, mm. you rock it, yeah. you yeah. swaddle it, you comfort yeah. it. Yeah. And that actually works. Mm-hmm. Same with like an animal. We we'll sure. we won't treat an animal as if it's some sort of like um, person, which we need to sort of theoretically explain the world to. Animals respond to much more embodied, much more basic. Yeah. Um, realities. And so if you want an animal to feel safe, touch it, pet it, feed it, give it a nice place to sleep Yeah, and it'll do better. And that's true for ourselves, though we largely ignore that is that if you want to help yourself, maybe treat yourself like your little baby or like a little dog that needs to be taken care of and you'll actually be more successful in making sense of these problems. So, um, somatics and somatic experiencing specifically Mm -hmm. what we're talking about today is sort of exploring this idea of bottom-up therapy. Yeah. So approaching the body first, the body as primary, as opposed to top-down talk therapy or other forms of um, more objectified intellectual exploration mm-hmm. in order yeah. to solve our problems. Or maybe what we might consider to be standard types of psychotherapy, which are sort of born out of the Socratic traditions. Sure. Um, a lot of, I, don't, I mean, I don't understand this fully. I'm not a trained therapist, but my understanding is that the way that we think about a, a lot of modern Western therapy, especially as it moves more and more towards the cognitive behavioral realm, is first and foremost about talking out and the dialectic between the therapist and the client. And Mm. that is extremely powerful. That requires a whole episode that we should do really on like the Socratic method or the, the idea behind the dialectic. Sure. I mean, the Socratic method essentially is just questions. Yeah. You just ask lots of questions. Right. And if you, if you interrogate someone and they allow you to, to interrogate you, if you allow them to interrogate you, that it'll actually bring out a lot of, stuff you didn't know was there. Right. And that's powerful. Um, what I have found, and I think that this might be true for a lot of people is that the complexity of experience is that the talk therapy only goes so far. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say the top down approach doesn't work or that it doesn't have a place, but rather it's like one piece of the puzzle. And we haven't really as a society given a lot of time or space to tend to the bottom-up approach. And that's what somatic experiencing is doing. It sort of interestingly is acknowledging that first and foremost, like as human beings, we've evolved with this very powerful and very intelligent um, nervous system and physiological system that knows how to respond to events that seem Mm life-threatening. And Dr. Peter Levine viewed sort of like the animal kingdom. Like he saw that animals went under periods of distress if they were being chased and their lives were on the line. But why didn't animals become traumatized? What is it about the human experience that causes this? And so what we acknowledge is that despite the nature of our body to self-regulate, that process can become disrupted. And when that process is halted dysregulation happens it leads to a psyche and a body that fragments there are these sort of like unclosed uh, physiological loops that are just stuck and that builds this kind of energy inside the body that leads to ailments that we might now know as post-traumatic post-traumatic stress disorder right so we're talking about trauma yeah and um se is aimed at relieving trauma, mm-hmm. healing trauma and yeah. PTSD. Um, so as Alyssa said, trauma is kind of, excuse me, my alarm is 
my alarm is going off. <laughs> um, trauma can be thought of as uh, sort of like an inter- interrupted process, right? Yeah, so like if, if animals are frightened or they're attacked or they break their leg or fall into a hole, like they'll have natural physiological processes that, that, that happen that are designed to process the stress. Yeah. Um, not that animals are as simple as machines, but you could think about it like a machine that has its own um, pathways through its body that are used to take the most optimal action mm-hmm. or metabolize things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, redirect energy, heal things. Um, so if you're frightened, for instance, if you're stressed out, if, you, if you're confronting some sort of chaos in front of you, the body is going to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. It's going to pump you full of certain chemicals to, yeah. to get you to get ready to fight or to run. Um, right. And as it goes through that process of like fight or flight, fight or flight or freeze, we can get into the freeze. Um, but as it does that, the, the body is actually going through a sort of mechanistic process yeah. from beginning to end. And that might involve um, the fighting or flighting. And mm-hmm. then after you fight or flight, there might be sort of a like tuning down portion where mm-hmm. your body is kind of shaking and yeah, it's processing di- it's what's happening to it. Discharging. That's, discharging. That's what he viewed. And I think when you look up Peter Levine's work in these videos, he'll often show an animal that's being chased and it gets caught. Um, it plays dead for a time. And then when it seems like it's safe, the the body of the animal starts to shake and mm. then it runs off. Yeah. And so what we see is that there's a process that's responding to the threat. In this mm. case, it couldn't run, it couldn't fight. So it, it, it went into freeze state, which is like a total... A shutting down of the nervous yeah. system and then the nervous system comes back online it starts shaking maybe it's releasing some of those chemicals and then it moves again mm-hmm. but what happens with humans that stops that process right so i mean humans are animals and the mm-hmm. way that they respond to stress or to chaos in their lives is not exactly the same way that like a, a deer might yeah. respond but it is not completely different not absolutely yeah. different and so if you can sort of imagine a human that is completely kind of like wild and free and not inhibited. Um, you know, humans might do things like uh, they might run, they might fight, they might hide, uh, they might scream mm-hmm. for help. Um, they might shake if they've experienced something really um, shocking. I mean, yeah. that's, that's something that we don't really encounter very often in everyday life, but like we're still kind of familiar with the idea that someone who's been through, um, a really scary episode, maybe they've just gotten into a car accident. Yeah. You might see them kind of shaking or their eyes are really wide or they're kind of doing this rocking motion. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're, we're familiar with that idea. And even though we're familiar, we might not understand what exactly is happening, but you can, you can, Imagine that the body is essentially going through a natural process Mm -hmm. that is completely automatic. It's not rational. And it's doing this to process the stress. Yeah. And the point, um, this is overly simplistic, but trauma is when those processes are stopped in their tracks. And if they're stopped, let's say if you were going to, uh, for instance, scream if you were frightened, or uh, run or fight in a situation, um, maybe for some reason you wouldn't. Yeah. Maybe because it's not appropriate or you're embarrassed or you've been conditioned or taught that this is not a good way to behave for whatever reason, you might stop yourself from running and hiding. You might stop yourself from screaming out. You might stop yourself from venting anger by you know hitting something. Um, you might stop yourself from shaking or convulsing yeah. because what would other people think if they saw you doing this, right? Right. There's this interesting new factor for humans, which is consciousness mm-hmm. and our ability to control these processes to some degree is part of what blocks these loops or we're in an environment where we don't feel safe enough to do it or it's so uh, chronic, like the the stress happens all of the time or enough that you're in constant states of like hyper arousal or feeling unsafe that your body has now 
moved into um, needing to be on high alert all of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's where like the nuance between um, like an acute experience that leads to post-traumatic stress disorder versus um, some sort of ongoing stressful experience that leads to complex PTSD, mm-hmm. which are similar, but there's like actually quite a big nuance, but that's a- another episode to get right, into that. Right. So childhood trauma is really common. Yeah. Um, I think that we argued in our episode about trauma, which was a really early one that might've been like the fifth episode we did. Yeah. Very but, um, you know, that trauma is universal yeah. and pretty much everyone experiences childhood trauma in some way. Maybe that's a product of um, our strange modern world. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't matter what time or age you live in. The trauma right. is still part of childhood. But you can imagine a child, for instance, in a household um, with abusive parents. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird situation because the child can't really go anywhere. There's no place to run. So there's no flight. Yeah. Can't really fight parents or anything or beat away this like sort of chaotic thing um so Mm -hmm. there's no fight um might not have any place to hide either yeah um might not be allowed to cry for Mm. whatever reason Mm -hmm. might not have anyone to go talk to that's going to make them feel safe like an aunt uncle who could protect them so if you can imagine a situation like this which unfortunately i don't think is is that uncommon uh you can see that all the processes that would be implemented by the body to deal with a very stressful situation or being stopped in their tracks. Yeah. And so all this energy, all this kind of negativity and stress and, you know, chemically it could be cortisol mm. more metaphorically. You could say like it's shadow essentially yeah. it's darkness. It's like, it's all locked away. It's suppressed and it's compartmentalized. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what trauma is. Yeah. Um, put pretty simplistically. Yeah. Um, and so Essie, um, is aimed at releasing that trauma by re-implementing these processes. Yeah, it's like trying to get us back into the experiences of the body so that we can not only get in contact with that sort of survival energy that was thwarted for whatever reason, but we can also then find a sort of resolution and a closure Because it's not just an emotional closure. It's not just like I need to feel like I got over what happened to me. Coming from the bottom up approach, we recognize that maybe you intellectually feel past it, but your body is not. Right. And what's really going on in the body, I think especially when, and trauma is a spectrum, by the way. So there can be sort of low grade symptoms of this and quite extreme symptoms of this. But often what's happening is like the body, it's not that the body's being hijacked. That's kind of the words that come to mind, but it's like the body's doing what it's supposed to do. It's just sort of, uh, it's dysregulated. It's, it's no longer closing those loops in a balanced way, but rather you're kind of stuck. So you move into hyper arousal and you're just stuck there. And then finally you come back down mm-hmm. and then you get triggered again and you're back there and then you kind of come back down. So there's no sense of release that the body has had. Um, and with those biological reactions that kind of trigger also often comes um, emotional experiences, thought patterns, um, heaviness in the body. It's like this full spectrum of experience. And so Essie is trying to get you to gently ease back into this process. And that's like a really important fundamental pillar of Essie is that we're not trying to re-traumatize people because often individuals who are suffering from PTSD in some form, it's very, very difficult to return to those feelings. It's very difficult to sit with that in the body because it immediately enacts an overwhelm, you know, like all the alarm bells might go off or maybe you are more of a hypo arousal. So it's like you, you dissociate, you just totally turn off. So there's like the two spectrums of that hyper or hypo arousal. Um, but Essie is trying to get you back into that place to learn what's happening in the body, to become aware of it and to come into relationship with it so that you can find some, uh, peace so SE is, um, I don't think it's something that you get licensed for. I'm sure there are training programs and certificates, stuff like that. Yeah, I think my understanding is that Peter Levine has like developed this to the point that 
individuals can go through a, I believe, multi-year training program. Okay, okay. Um, the point is that we're not licensed. We're not experts no. on SA. Um, and <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you understand that we are just approaching one of these uh, modalities and ideas sort of conceptually and as sort of Am. a... a uh, overview of you could explore this yeah. and learn about it yourself um Alyssa has um done se with someone else yeah with a therapist who was um a certified practitioner and i will say fun fact <laughs> the reason why i started getting interested in se was like i kind of heard about it i forget where i was some event just very like casually this title of a book, Waking the Tiger, was mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then one day I kind of turn around looking at my bookshelf and I'm like, whoa, Waking the Tiger, I have that book. And I remembered you gave me that book. Um, not that you read it. I, it knew, was, I knew that you needed it. it. It was your grandpa's book. But Waking the Tiger is... I'm supposed to leave that part out. <laughs> he just planted it. I was it. like... He knew. This is what Alyssa needs. <laughs> Waking the tiger, but it was too. Is what I. It was a really beautiful synchronistic moment because um, I'd been very steeped in Jungian theory for a long time, and then also like just standard talk therapy um, interactions with with therapists, which I felt only went so far. And if you want to kind of understand more of like the personal story, you can read the Substack post that will go out around the same time as this episode where I write kind of about what led me to SE and this interesting dream I had and et cetera. But SE kind of came in at a time where like I needed to tend to the body because I was having what might be called somatization, which is like embodied uh, symptoms of the issues that I was experiencing and talk therapy was only going so far and as powerful and as exciting it was for me to do dream work and active imagination, all this stuff, it was becoming very, very obvious that I was not paying attention to this other level of experience. So that's the perspective that I'm coming from. It's, it's been a very interesting journey, still learning a lot. And it, it's useful for anybody really to open up that door to somatics because there's so many ways. Like it doesn't have to be SE. It could be yoga. It could be breath work. It could be tai chi. Like it could be running. Right, right. Part, part of the point is that if you just sort of think about approaching yourself therapeutically in this way, mm -hmm. I mean, everyone listening to the podcast probably is trying to improve themselves or has some kind of self-work mm -hmm. journey that they're on. And even if you're not going to specifically do SE, just keeping in mind that a lot of what you're trying to do would actually be better approached if you thought about it going through the body first yeah. and not just reading books, reading books, listening to podcast after podcast after podcast. Yeah. Obviously like, you know, this is a podcast. It's very, very intellectual. <laughs> and we're saying that like this podcast can't heal you, but if you try to work on your body and work through the body, that can be useful in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, but the point I was making is that we're not experts, um, but despite not being experts and not having a huge amount of experience with SA, we are going to try and walk through um, some examples of working with this mm -hmm. and some, um, I don't know if technique is the right word, but like ways of approaching SA yeah. um, that Peter Levine or someone associated with Peter Levine might have um, come up with. Mm -hmm. So, um, so forgive us if we're not perfect. This is sort of like our interpretation of it. <laughs> right. Right. As with every episode, we're just, yeah. we're just exploring. Um, so uh, the first thing we're going to explore is the Cybam model yeah. and Cybam is S I B A M, hmm. which stands for sensation, imagery, behavior, affect, and meaning. Yep. Uh, yep. Meaning could also be called cognition mm. in some interpretations. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is a sort of, uh, five part model of experience. So it's a way of thinking about experience in terms of five different domains, five different ways in which we, um, experience things. Yeah, so the channels, the five channels, right? So for example, we might experience a, an event or what have you through sensation, which is sort of What's in the body? What am I feeling in my body? Where mm -hmm. is it in my body? Is it in my chest? Is it in my fingertips? Is it in my eyes? 
um, image, so visuals, pictures, symbols, scenes. Mm. What's what kind of scene is brought up for me when I focus on this thing? Um, behavior. The next one uh, that might have to do with what actions are you taking in in response to experiencing this thing? Mm-hmm. Maybe you are clenching your fists, or maybe you are. Um, you know, your heart rate's going up and you're, you're moving around more, or maybe you're, you're running to hide, or maybe you're running to go have a beer to like calm yourself down. Mm. So behavior, Mm. um, affect. The next one is emotions, Mm. feelings. So I'm feeling anger or I'm feeling really sad or I'm feeling a lot of fear, et cetera. Last one, meaning, um, this is probably the most difficult one. I feel like to kind of conceptualize or explain but essentially um what are the thoughts or beliefs yeah that are coming up uh one way i like think about it is like what is the narrative here how does this yes. fit into yeah. my narrative of myself which yeah, is like, like what what story am i telling myself sure. right now about like what happened and yeah. what it means yeah just like f that person like they yeah. are terrible or like i am this like it's it's these different judgments the way that you start to come to conclusions about what that experience was, which mm. actually informs a great deal of our sort of, we always talk about the ego, like constructing the narrative all the time. It's like, that's yeah. like major ego domain for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this model can be used as a way of working through some kind of focus, some sort of um, experience. It could be, it could be anything really. Yeah. Um, I mean, Partly when I worked with my SC therapist, I didn't see this utilized in a way that it's like, okay, we're using Cybam now. Um, But rather that she would begin to point out as I was maybe talking about something or explaining something that, especially with me, she would say a lot, Melissa, you're very image heavy. Mm -hmm. Because as I was trying to go into the body and explain a certain sensation, I'd be like, there's actually like an image of a child right here to the right. It's like my, I, my experience very focused on this channel would produce symbols and imagery, but it also sort of pointed to an interesting thing that I was not as tapped into the sensation channel. So the way to move through it and and the way that I've liked to approach it is maybe this isn't se proper but it is like after an experience kind of go through the cybam and and figure out how you were experiencing it through each of the channels and it's actually quite a powerful experience to journal on or to help have someone facilitate for you so we're gonna walk through it right now live um (laughs) this is maybe not typically how someone uses the model is to actually just walk through (laughs) all five domains one after the other Though I have found, for me, I find it useful and I use it on myself mm-hmm. and I've used it in coaching and have found it to be useful of getting yeah. kind of the lay of the land yeah. of a certain yeah, situation. I mean, I'd be issue. interested to know if anyone listening like knows more about this, mm-hmm. leave us a comment. But we'll walk through this as an example of what the channels are like and you can utilize it then as this reflective tool, but also as an indicator of like what's really happening from that bottom up experience. So I'm going to choose a focus and the focus I'm going to choose, again, this is kind of contrived because this isn't an actual therapeutic setting, um, but I'm going to choose um, an experience I had that's been bothering me for a while off and on whenever it comes up, whenever I remember this experience, it always kind of gives me this like really negative kind of cringy feeling. Um, And it is specifically... um, when I was at a party and I was standing around in a circle with at least like five or six of my friends and we were talking and a girl came to the party. She had just gotten there um, and she was wearing a lot of makeup and it was the makeup was kind of extreme, but I didn't think it was makeup. I thought that she was sunburned. And I said just out loud in front of everyone, I was like, are you really sunburned? And she wasn't. She was just wearing a bunch of makeup and she rubbed her face a whole bunch and smeared the makeup and walked away really, really embarrassed. Mm. And it's multi-layered. I mean, it ties into a lot of different things about me and like social awkwardness and um, being a little too uh, honest about what I think. Mm. Um, Being a little too aspy, you might say. Um, 
but I get really embarrassed when I think about that and I feel really shameful of myself. And sometimes it just like, I remember that memory and it sticks out. It might even be kind of like an archetypal social memory for me. Mm. Um, and it has this actually like physiological effect on me. Yeah. So we're going to do, we're going to side bam it (laughs) right now. Um, and Melissa's going to coach me through it. Okay. So as you're thinking through this experience, can you notice what's happening in your body? Any sensations, maybe any changes in your breathing, maybe a shift in temperature? Um, there's increased heart rate. Mm. There's a lot of tightness around the eyes for some reason. Mm. There's kind of like fist clenching. Yeah. Okay. So those are all sensations. Okay. So let's move to the image side. As you think about the experience, is there any organic, natural, spontaneous imagery that comes to mind? And maybe it's the memory that feels very vivid. Maybe like seeing your friends' faces or maybe a different image comes up. The memory is visual. Obviously, that's a pretty literal way to approach this. If I kind of let myself kind of active, imagine it, you might say, um, which I think is something that's interesting to do with this. Uh, it's kind of the image that I'm sort of like isolating myself from everyone there. Like I've created some sort of foul and I don't belong because Mm. of that. Like I'm being exiled. What is the image? Can you describe what that image looks like? The image is that I'm there in the memory and I've just, I've just said this thing to this, to this girl. And then as that's happened, I am sort of sinking back away from the image and my friends and I'm kind of sliding away into darkness. Mm. Let's move to behavior. Okay. Is there anything that your body feels like it's doing or wants to do in response to the thought? You mentioned your fists clenching. This is sort of more of a behavior channel. So anything around that, like physical actions, fidgeting, the way your body's moving? There is the impulse to... hard to explain um i don't want to say it's a violent impulse but there's i guess it kind of is and i would argue that's kind of like a very masculine response to things like this but there's sort of like a feeling of like fists clenching like i want to sort of like beat away or push away Mm. the memory Mm. or something Mm. like i want it to get away from me almost as if like it was just some sort of illusion and if i were to kind of like punch at it or push at it it would just sort of like vanish Mm. or like break down or crumble in Mm. front of me and i could sort of get away from it um Mm. if i'm thinking like more literal action there's like the idea of like i don't want to see this person again because i feel so ashamed and maybe i don't want to see this group of people anymore because i feel ashamed and like maybe i don't belong there so maybe i should find like a different place to hang out or Maybe I should follow some of my fantasies that I have and just like go walk into the forest and never come back. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, those aren't very, real, very realistic, but they can still lead to like literal behavior, like being a little less social than normal or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So the affect channel is about emotions. What feelings are coming up and what emotions and try to name them. I think there's a lot of fear. Mm. Um, Fear, I think, is connected to like loneliness Mm. or failure or like not fitting in. So there's sadness there too. Um, Embarrassment, shame. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to isolate yeah. 
the emotions without getting into like meaning yeah. and getting into like behavior and stuff like that. Yeah. But like fear is probably the, the best way to explain it. You brought up meaning, which often comes on the tail ends of some of these things like the emotions. So mm-hmm. are there any other thoughts or beliefs or conclusions that you're coming to as you think about this experience? Right. So this is easier for me. Yes. Um, cause <laughs> this is like, this is like cognition. Uh, and this is where most of my energy is at. Um, I mean, the thoughts are that, uh, I have like poor social skills in some ways and that I am overly honest. Um, that I am a sort of strange person and don't really fit into most social scenes. Um, there's explanations of like, I should do a better job. There's self work that I'm thinking about that I could do. Like, uh, you know, be more warm and receptive and less, truth oriented, less sort of blurting out whatever I'm thinking. Um, there's sort of like the idea that like I should have done something different. I should have apologized to her. I should have like found her and said, I'm sorry. I said that, Mm. that it's like my, you know, my bad, like not hers at all. And that she looks fine. And, um, also how it ties into like the self-narrative of like this is a like recurring experience for me of like committing some sort of social foul um that stems from me being too on the nose or too direct um and that has something to do with like my self-story uh and my identity and the things that go wrong with my relationships occasionally So anyways, like I, you know, I could just keep going and going and going and going. (laughs) That's enough. Yeah. Okay. And end of exercise. End of exercise. (laughs) Side bam. Side bam. (laughs) That's how we end it in our professional sessions. (laughs) That's what, that's what Peter Levine does. (laughs) Um, so one thing about walking through it in this way that I think in part when I've done this there's kind of different ways to do it, but sometimes like really dialing it in and not allowing yourself or the other person to push too much into a different area, um, catching like when meaning is coming up in the affect channel and like slowing that down and just be like, let's only list these words, um, is important, right? Like we're really trying to isolate for a reason. But another thing I see and like that I was seeing even with you when we were in the behavior channels is this impulse to want to push back or fight. If if this was like a full session, I might even invite you to lean into that physicality and physically push your hands out or mm. um, you might push up like against a wall too. Like what is it like? Because like what's happening in the body that wants it to do something like grip the fist or punch out or push against something speaks to a deep internal need, like a body, mind, heart, spirit need. So SE also will employ actually doing that action so that, you know, it would be good for you before we moved on to the affect channel to allow yourself in that moment to feel what it's like to push against it. And that's like a way that you can kind of take off into that channel or maybe after you did all of those silos, you know that you want to hone in on something that happened and you want to experiment with it like yourself. It's like, I really noticed that impulse to push, push, push. So you're just going to go do that, you know, for like 30 seconds and see how that feels. And that's part of the experience I think of doing SE is like allowing your body to do what's coming natural, even though it might feel weird, strange, Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, inappropriate. Um, It's actually quite amazing. Like one time I 
therapist was having me push against a wall and scream. And I was like, I hate this. Like, I don't want to do this. I felt so awkward. And so yet. That's why you were screaming. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> um, but after I did it, there was like this huge, like, huh, like a really, a really big feeling of like release. Sideband mono is interesting because you can kind of think of it as like five different domains to balance out mm -hmm. also. And mm -hmm. like, it's like you, you should aim for trying to have like sufficient focus in each of these areas when you are experiencing anything or just like the way that you are in touch with your life. And if you are someone, for instance, who like has trouble with the sensation part or like it feels kind of unfamiliar or foreign, like that means that like sensation is perhaps something that you could work on. Yeah, or like nothing's coming up. Yeah. Um, which sounds like a strange idea, but maybe that would <laughs> be true for certain people. If like, I don't know how to answer the meaning part. Like I just absolutely like, I don't know what, yeah. what's coming up there. I think like, especially on like the emotion side, some people sometimes are like truly out of touch because that part has sort of been fragmented. It's been like split off. So when you're really like, no, 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 like don't go to the meaning of it mm -hmm. or don't go to this image of it. Like what's the pure emotion? And it's like, I, I don't know. That is some people's experience. So as you said, it's like you can begin to find where you naturally go and where you might be more deficient, you might say. Like for you, Aaron, like you're, you're very meaning heavy, mm -hmm. as you mentioned. You're also quite well versed in the image side. I'd say for sure. Where would you say that you struggle or where you could use more work? Probably affect mm. mostly. Um, like I can talk about the emotional side of these experiences, but like I'm really having to dig and mm. like kind of almost like just like, what should I feel? <laughs> Interesting. Like, well, like, sadness is like what person as someone normally feels in this kind of situation is like is there sadness there probably you yeah. know as opposed to actually being like i am actually experiencing sadness right now right. it's like that's it's more rare for me to actually be caught up in emotions for any extended period of time um and even when i remember like go, going through memories for instance like it's very easy for me to remember a lot of details and visuals mm. and explore the memory and kind of like tie a lot of memories together. Like I have like a very strong, very good memory. But if I was going to say like, what were you feeling at the time? I'd be like, Oh, I don't remember. I don't know. Like that's not, that's not being recorded. Um, mm. so the model is useful. I mean, you can even just use it for yourself as a, you know, meditative practice. If, mm -hmm. if you're going to, you know, sit down for 10 minutes a day, you could cycle through Cybam yeah. and just be like, what am I, what are the sensations today? Right. Mm -hmm. What is the imaging imagery that's coming up today? What's, what's the affect today, mm -hmm. et cetera. And just cycling through yourself in that way is like a good way to get, to get back in touch with your body. And, you know, mindfulness practice is sort of aimed at that in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It's like getting in touch with like the body and the unconscious and not being so egoic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on to some other concepts here. So, uh, pendulation. Mm -hmm. How would you explain that? Pendulation is sort of like the concept behind it is that life is sort of made up of these natural pulsations between these different states states of expansion and contraction, the ebb and flows, the openness that's suddenly met with a closure. This is just like, it's natural. Um, right. I mean, the dialectic is yeah. sort of an explanation of this is that like the, the world moves in dualities and polarities and mm. that anytime that there is sort of like a um, contact between two entities or a pol polarity in anything, there's always sort of like a relationship that happens there mm. and like, every entity sort of naturally flows between states of contraction and expansion yeah, and yeah. the wave pattern. Yeah. Like reality is actually just a bunch of waves. There's like the trough and the peak and right. the trough and the peak. So. I think like the spiral is a symbol that Levine uses too to yeah. explain this, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he's quite a Jungian, I might say. Yeah. Um, I know he's presented at some of the Jungian institutes before and draws upon this idea as just being very archetypal. 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, it's a, a natural underpinning of our psyche and somatic experience to have this sort of movement between these different states. And so pendulation comes into play in SE by when we recognize that there's something that we've encountered that has that energy of trauma, that has the heaviness, that has the overwhelm, that maybe even has the dissociation, that you can be with that for a time and then move to a different pole. And that opposing pole, if we were to look at it through more of like the sensate experience, is that maybe you feel the tightness in the chest. And so you start to attune to that tightness. And you might describe what those the sensation of tightness is like, where it, where exactly in the chest it is, how it feels. And then the practitioner might then invite you to find an opposing feeling in the body. Where don't you feel tightness? And so you start to search through the body and maybe you feel it um, around the face. My face doesn't feel tight. It's like, okay, let's attune to that for a moment. And it feels open. I feel lightness, like my eyes aren't just squeezed together. And then as you are kind of um, adjusting to this new pole, you move back, you pendulate back to the tightness in the chest and then back to the openness in the eyes. And this allows you to move between an arousal state and a calm state and in theory, you're sort of slowly metabolizing or getting in touch with the the thing that triggered the, the, the arousal state in the first place. And that allows you to be with it and not just like immediately get overwhelmed. But not only that, you get to find a new resource. And I think that's a big part of SE too, is like resourcing an individual with new sensations or new images, new behaviors, whatever, that lift you up or that ground you or then make you feel safe in the body. Yeah. The pendulation is, is really interesting in that way. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can see this concepts in a lot of different places. Uh, I mean, if you were going to have to handle or approach something that was chaotic or difficult mm. or dangerous, that the best way to do that would just be to do it sort of like a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then go back to your safe place and go back to the danger and then yeah. go back to your safe place and go back to the danger and go back to your safe place. Yeah. And that you could, um, you could see that being done, um, you know, even, even like a very literal sort of physical way. It's, you know, you go back, you go to work and then you go back to your house and you go to work <laughs> and you go back to your house and you go mm-hmm. back to work. And if you were just at work all the time, yeah. you would die basically. And if you were at home all the time, unless you're, ter- you know, terribly wealthy, um, you wouldn't really get much out of your life. Mm. And so going back and forth from these places of work and safety or danger and safety is like a natural process. But you could also see how therapeutically you might, if you're going to do this like imagistically, if you're going to bring up a, a traumatic memory, mm-hmm. this isn't necessarily approaching from the body, but if you were bringing up a traumatic memory, you might fluctuate between approaching the traumatic memory and then going back to like a sort of safe or happy memory yeah, or like a safe imagined place, like a, a beautiful safe forest with all your animal friends where like no one's going to hurt you. And then you go back to this difficult memory and then you go back to your safe forest, et cetera. And so you could understand how approaching trauma this way, just the concept of pendulation can be a useful way to think about it. Yeah. Well, when we're dealing with trauma, and there's dysregulation in the nervous system, the window of tolerance that most people have naturally is severely affected. Mm -hmm. So you have to rebuild tolerance. And in that way, it's almost like, I don't know, I know SE isn't thought of as like an exposure therapy, but it's sort of like get in touch with a thing that makes you feel uncomfortable or that triggers like something that says like, this is wrong, this isn't right, I can't deal with this. But doing it gently enough so that your body can handle what processes are coming up, which might be something as intense as like hyperventilating or totally dissociating or getting really emotional and crying, but being able to be with it enough so that next time you come back to it, you can stay with it a little bit longer. 
And that's when they talk about the window of tolerance. The window mm. of tolerance needs to grow. Yeah. And trauma affects that on a fundamental level. So that that kind of standard heroic myth of like, oh, here's the challenge, just leave, you know, the known world and venture out, even though it's so scary and overwhelming. Well, he must have a very healthy window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. You can just jump right out. But for someone who's coming from a more wounded place, there has to be healing. So maybe you take just a step outside the fence and then you go back. Mm -hmm. And then the next time, two or three steps. And that's what pendulation allows. What about titration? Titration. I think this is another just like kind of fundamental principle that SE practitioners seem to work from, Yeah, which is that... It's the gradual exposure and I guess how it differs from pendulation is that the idea is to slow things down to this very gentle way of experiencing what's happening to you and where in the body you might be experiencing, say, um, your breath suddenly just getting faster and faster. So rather than moving to the pendulation technique, what you might need here is titration. So the, the, the practitioner will call attention to your breath starting to get faster and faster, and they'll ask you to slow it down. Or can you take a little bit of a deeper breath? Or can you pause long enough to notice what's happening? And I think another thing that's important in this framework is that we don't want to stop what's happening. We don't want it to... Uh, almost like have a label of like, this is a bad thing. Like I shouldn't be reacting this way. I should hold back that right now I want to like punch the wall, but rather slow down that process so that you can be with some of that distress and act it out in a way that you just don't fly off the handle or totally dissociate. Um, and so for me, how I've experienced this is when I start to move into these emotional hyper arousal states. Um, one time my essay therapist said, I noticed that you're rubbing your eye a lot. And it was weird because I didn't notice it. And I'm kind of my left hand up and I'm just sort of pressing it against my eyelid. And so what she did was just ask me to notice it at first. And rather than telling me to stop, she just told me to slow it down. And that building that first moment of awareness, that acknowledgement allows the body to do what it's doing, which in some ways I think at that time was a bit of like a comforting action because I'm feeling myself, you know, we're talking about something that's kind of overwhelming for me. I'm trying not to get into too bad of a state. And then there's a lot of comfort actions that I think come out for people, whether you have experienced extreme trauma or not, because it might be just like a shaking of the leg. Maybe you start to rub your arm a little bit. Maybe you rock yourself back and forth. And you talked about like the baby in the beginning of the episode. And it's like, how do we interact with children who we can't have these deep conversations with? How do we tell them they're okay? We hold them. We rock them in our arms, kind of bounce them on the hip. And it's really interesting to notice that we enact those similar things to bring a sense of comfort in an adult distress state. So titration is essentially gradual exposure. Mm. And I believe titration, the place where I've heard it before is in chemistry, hmm. where there's like a system set up where you're just dropping a little amount into a solution mm. and not just like pouring the cup in yeah, it's like yeah. one drop at a time that's titration okay so the idea is that integration in all its forms you can apply this universally pretty much to everything but specifically you know with shadow integration is something that we obviously talk about a lot but titration is implying that you can't simply integrate your shadow in one go just like, i'm gonna do it like right now like integrating shadow like ah oh. no <laughs> if you if you actually expose yourself to like a lot of traumatic memories at once you'll have this total backlash it won't work and it might even you might even make things worse um or if you try to integrate the shadow of a relationship you have with someone yeah it might really rub the other person the wrong way if you try to like confront them and say, let's like get all this out on the table and figure out like what's really going on. 
um, they might just push you away yeah. and it might make things even worse than they were before. So the idea is that integration, taking some sort of trauma, some sort of darkness in you, some sort of chaos that you've experienced and healing that, reclaiming it, making it whole again, making yourself whole again has to happen gradually, slowly, mm, yeah. one drop at a time. And so titration, as you explained, working through the body with SE um, might be don't go to a traumatic embodied place like all at once. Like yeah. let's do it real slowly, one drop at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see how it applies to any sort of work you might do on yourself. Um, if you want to get into physical shape, even like don't go out and run 30 miles right. if you're out of shape. It's yeah. like, what do you do? You'll break yourself. So what do you do? It's like you go for a, two miles a day. Yeah. Titration, right? This is so interesting because as you were talking about titration, titration from a, a, a chemistry standpoint, I was like thinking about when you're cooking, you have to temper eggs. Mm. And so you have a recipe where you have eggs, but you also have hot liquid. And if you're mm. just going to add the eggs, they would scramble or curdle. Mm-hmm. So you have to add a little bit of hot liquid to the eggs slowly to temper it. And then finally you can continue the recipe. So it's like, almost like this universal principle, whether oh, yeah. it's the body totally. or chemistry or fitness. Yeah. I mean, you, you know how my mind works. I always like zoom out as far as possible, but yeah. like all these patterns are universal. Yeah. Like they're not just psychological. They're not just embodied. They're not yeah. just in the animal kingdom. They're like in the physical universe mm. itself. Like the dialectic is a physical property of the universe. Mm. Titration, physical property. These waves that we're talking about, contraction, expansion for pendulation. Right. It's like, like a physical property. What of happens when opposed to forces clash together and they don't get to like naturally meet? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like, in, uh, intense weather patterns yeah. where it's like a hot stream and a cold stream just totally collide and then yeah. suddenly you have like a hurricane or something like that right or you have like two individuals in a social scene and they have really strong personalities mm. and they just like hate each other basically and fight a bunch and they just like never talk to each other that's because it's like happening too quick yeah or is it like they very slowly like interact a little bit Mm, talk like they're actually integrating the relationship and maybe they might become really good friends and become really strong personalities like as one right right Right? so lots of interesting illustrations there um but to close out uh somatic experiencing it's essentially embodied therapy it's body first it's bottom up it's starting from our most you might say primal animalistic places are most childlike places and trying to work from there as opposed to this sort of egoic hubris hubristic is that a right word mm-hmm. way of approaching things which is just like intellectual and like we're all super super rational adults like that's really a myth yeah and we're, we're mostly irrational um so conceptually it's something to think about in your own work for yourself that might mean just like exercising more or doing yoga, or meditating, or just like when you get up in the morning, think about your body. How do you, how does your body actually feel? What are the sensations in your body? You can approach it conceptually like that, or obviously you can explore somatic experiencing. Specifically, there's a lot of practitioners that you can find. Uh, you can look up Peter Levine. You can find his website. You can read his books. Mm-hmm. A lot of good information out there. And as far as the the full package of self-work goes, somatics obviously is very important. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow org. If you'd like to keep up to date with my musings and writing, subscribe to the Golden Shadow Journal at substack.goldenshadow.com. If you're interested in working with myself, or Alyssa, go to our websites, alyssapolitzi.com and arnrogerson.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.